the first tenant of treatment is essentially oxygen. If, if the patient is hypoxic, so aiming for saturate, oxygen saturations of greater than 94%. So delivering that through the appropriate means, be it a nasal cannula, a face mask, and you can then, if needed, give positive pressure ventilation through high flow nasal cannula or CPAP slash NIV, depending on the type of respiratory failure the patient is in. Uh, diuretic therapy is, a, is another mainstay of acute heart failure treatment. So if a patient is diuretic naive, the ESC actually advocate relatively low doses of IV fruzamide, about 10 to 20 milligrams, and then a reassessment of response. Although practically, uh, as I'm sure you will have seen, higher doses are often used. And this is all kind of, I, I personally have seen different practices in different locations, but it's all, if you're gonna go for lower doses, it's all about assessing response quickly. Um, if patients are established on diuretic therapy, um, again, people advocate different approaches, but a widely used approach is typically to double the oral dose um, and convert it to IV. So if someone's on 20 milligrams oral afruzamide, you may go for IV 40 stat. But remember, this is all patient-centered and, and very much dependent on the clinical context. To assess then, because then it's important to assess for the efficacy of diuresis at the acute stage, we have a, a few different options. So one is to monitor the urine output, aiming for roughly 100 to 150 mils in the first six hours. Uh, and you can also use a, a spot urinary sodium around two to six hours post-initiation of diuresis, aiming for around 50 to 70 uh, as a marker. If the diuretic was to fail, your options are to potentially increase the dose or add synergistic diuretic therapy, such as a thiazide-like diuretic, such as metolazine. Um, another option, um, more as a second line, is vasodilator therapy, i.e. GTN uh, therapy, which reduces afterloads and preload with venous return. And a practical point to, to mention here is that ensuring that the dose of GTN is up titrated and not left as it often is done at the starting dose of 0.5 mils per kilo per hour. Um, so making sure that that's up titrated uh, and, and showing that you're aware of that. Um, other important points to note, ensuring the patient is on VTE prophylaxis, uh, opiates have, have uh, kind of, it's have been given um, and they're used to relieve uh, breathlessness and anxiety and that air hunger However, interestingly, analysis has shown that the use of morphine is, has actually been associated with an increased frequency of mechanical ventilation, prolonged hospital stays, and increased mortality. So actually, opiate use in heart failure is generally not recommended, but again, it's a very patient-by-patient -patient decision, and it is an option for those that are significantly breathless and have that air hunger symptom. Um, that's your kind of basic management. And then uh, to finish, we'll talk about just briefly about second line therapies in the case of cardiogenic shock. Before we do that, um, Barak, any, anything to, to add in terms of the treatment side? Um, no, I think with, whether it really nicely. Again, I think it's quite nice to preface the, if you can tell the interviewer your rationale for what you're doing, so your kind of targets. So if you could say, you know, I'm aiming to acutely diurese this patient. Uh, so, you know, you said all the things in terms of stabilizing, then you could say, my target is to aim to lose you know, 0.5 to a kilogram um, per day. And I'm gonna use the appropriate diuretics to do it. So I could then 
I'll use Frusmine to begin with, and I can consider adding thiazide like direct diuretics as needed, paying close, close attention to their user needs would be completely reasonable. And then I think that's one side of things. So the way I kind of think of it is that's what I'm doing with the diuretics. Then I say, um, also, whilst I'm doing that, I know that um, asymptomatics are acute and prognostic uh, in, in acute heart failure. So I try and establish them on asymptomatic therapy um, with a nod to their, both their user needs and their blood pressure. Uh, and then after that, later on down the line, I would think about adding in these blockers because it shows that you're not just thinking about managing the acute heart failure, but you're also trying to establish them. You're knowing about, you're sharing just your knowledge about establishing on therapies. So that's the only thing I'd kind of pepper into this. And it kind of gives them an idea and then idea that you're actually a very good candidate and knows how to manage these kind of things. And then you can also talk about, you know, managing them with CPAP and NIV and GTN as needed. So yeah, that's a really good point. And I think this, this will be, this is a relatively common station to come up. Yeah. Um, and I think if you, if you get asked it, you need to reel this information off. Um, yeah. That, that would be the expected standard um, to have. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we'll talk about second line therapies. Again, as I, as I mentioned, we won't go into excessive detail here, but some awareness is needed that they exist. So uh, inotropes or vasopressors in the case of cardiogenic shock uh, and being aware that they can cause things such as arrhythmias and ischemia. Renal replacement therapy is an option in, in uh, cases where they're diuretic unresponsive. And then you have your mechanical circulatory support. So acutely, uh, what can be used is an intra-aortic balloon pump, essentially a balloon inserted via a venous catheter, typically the femoral vein that sits in the descending aorta and inflates in diastole, which increases coronary perfusion and deflates in systole, allowing cardiac outflow. And then you also have things that can be used acutely, such as an impeller ventricular support system, essentially a flow pump placed across the aortic valve that aspirates blood from the left ventricle and ejects it into the ascending aorta. Uh, and then further kind of even more advanced things are things like ECMO. We won't go into uh, more detail in this video as it's beyond the scope of the knowledge you'd be expected for the interview. So that's a bit of a touch on, on kind of more advanced therapies. And as mentioned in the previous video, being aware that actually when these things might be indicated and when to escalate um, uh, patients uh, as a cardiology registrar is, is what you'd be expected to be aware of, knowing that actually this patient is wet and cold, um, they're in cardiogenic shock, they'll need um, higher therapies. Um, yeah, no, I think I completely agree. I think the Yes, but it's just no, knowing that a transplant centre and the various support they can offer in terms of impeller and LV assist devices and ECMO is an option. Uh, I think just mentioning it is more than enough. Um, and your point about um, inotropes, I suppose we did touch upon this in one of the previous videos, but just to reiterate, um, isolated right ventricular failure someone in a setting with an MI um, generally respond better. Acute private, this is acute right ventricular failure, responds better to filling, so they need fluids, whereas acute left ventricular failure um, responds better to inotropes. Um, so that's just a thing on acute RV and acute LV failure um, when you're thinking about uh, managing this. Um, 
and yeah, your point about the eyelid trip. So if someone's got pre-existing heart failure, they might choose to use it instead of uh, traditional um, eyelid trip, uh, such as adrenaline um, or NORAD. We might use things such as dobutamine uh, and dopamine as eyelid trips to try and help increase renal fusion. Because I think if you think about everything, the whole point of everything we're trying to do here is increase uh, renal fusion and increase uh loss of fluid via the kidneys and bring them back further on the Frank Starling curve. Um, so if you have that in your mind, everything you're doing with half it, you will never go far wrong. Um, could you bring Frank Starling? I think if you're, if you're happy enough talking about Frank Starling curve, we can say that's rational behind what you're doing. It's definitely not a must, but if it falls off, if it comes natural to you to talk about, then by all means do. I think most cardiologists are, especially the older school ones are very happy. Uh, hearing basic physiology principles being used in therapy. So, mm. uh, I don't know what you think of that. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's if you feel comfortable using that, there's there's no harm. Um, yeah, it, it shows you you're practicing from a more physiological based approach, which you know there's debate about it, but I, I personally think is a, is a nicer way to practice. Yeah. Um, good. So yeah. Okay. okay. That covers acute heart failure really pretty nicely. Yeah, uh, so uh, please see our associated uh, clinical scenario for, for a scenario related to heart failure. Thank you for listening. Thank you.